uh, the president of the United States signing the law Tuesday that landmark new federal protections for same-sex and interracial couples kind of caps both the personal and national evolution on the issue. That's uh, obviously has a lot of growing acceptance over the past ten years or so. Uh, Joe Biden is signing the Respect for Marriage Act. Lots of people on the South Lawn. At the event uh, the other day at the White House here to discuss is uh, my good friend, Mr. Lieb, Andrew Lieb, of course, constitutional law attorney extraordinaire at Lieb at Law. Go to the website, check it out, LiebAtLaw.com. As uh, his practice uh, focusing on such a wide range of uh, services throughout the metro area. Good to have you here. Big event happening the other day. And, uh, you know, one thing on the Islanders, monitoring that island, and Andrew's a huge Islander feeling like me. Uh, they beat the Devils last Friday, but then they get shut out by the Hurricanes, and they, they get a point in the standings against Boston. So there you go. They played two of the top three teams in the league over the last week or so. Let's see what happens in Arizona tomorrow night, sir, right? Oh, they're going to beat Arizona, Jay. They're going to beat Arizona. Arizona's struggling bad, and that point against the Bruins was good. All they needed was you to yell like you were yelling about the border, and they wouldn't have let the goal in at the end, and they would have won that game, too. We need some more fan attendance. We need to get very animated for this Islander team. I know they're on a road trip, but we really can do something this year. I'm excited about the Islanders. I hope I know you are, too. Me, too. Me, too. They're looking good. We had Chris King on the other day, the fine play-by-play uh, man uh, for the Isles. Uh, and, you know, listen. He's confident. They got a good mix. I think they got the best tandem in the league as far as goaltending uh, in uh, Sorogan and uh, Baltimore. So uh, we'll see what happens. The second leg of the road trip in the desert uh, tomorrow night. Uh, big event. Lots of discussion. President signs it. Go ahead. Tell us a little bit more about this. Well, I think the key takeaway is, because I'm hearing this from a lot of people, why is this a big deal? Why is this the thing we're talking about? I thought this was already legal to have same-sex marriage because we had a Supreme Court decision that said it was legal. And the answer to that is, first of all, it's not just same-sex marriage. It's also race is protected. National origin is protected. It goes beyond that. And what it really is signifying is Justice Thomas had made a statement in the abortion case called Dobbs where he made a statement in his opinion that undercut the right to privacy, including potentially same-sex marriage, interracial marriage, and the like. And so this bill is the Congress coming out, which is really where we want to see legislation coming out, not from an activist judiciary, saying that people are able to marry whoever they like. And we're not talking about marriage, Jay, in a religious sense. We're talking about the full benefits of the federal and state governments. And that's a big distinction. People convolute the two terms. They're not saying any religious organization needs to do anything to do with any of this. It's just saying you can get married as far as the government is concerned for benefits, no matter who you are. And I think that's a great thing. Unless you're a sister wife, no polygamy. No question. And you knew this was... And to me, this was kind of an automatic thing. And, you know, if you're paying attention a couple of weeks ago where you had the Supreme Court, Andrew, uh, the conservative majority, who seemed to kind of lead in favor of an evangelical, uh, I'm saying that wrong, uh, Christian, evangelical, there you go, uh, Christian, uh, was a web designer, right, who was seeking to refuse working on same-sex weddings based on her religious beliefs. And that's where justices had heard a couple of hours of arguments in the case of this woman who sued the Colorado Civil Rights Commission. This was a couple of years ago. 
I think it was 17, 16, right around there, over state anti-discrimination laws. And it barred her from advertising that she wouldn't create websites for couples of the same sex. So, you know, this has been a very hot topic of conversation for some time now. Yeah, you're talking. You're talking about a case called 303 Creative, and this lady um, is a web designer. And just to differentiate, she wasn't saying, and I know you didn't say this, but I want to make sure everyone hears this, she wasn't saying she wouldn't work with same-sex people. She was saying she would work with anyone. All she was saying is that she makes unique, tailored websites, and she doesn't want her artistic creativity to be used to make same-sex weddings, meaning if... I'm a LGBT person, and you're heterosexual, and we're friends. I can go pay her and say, hey, make a heterosexual wedding website for Jay and his spouse. That would have been okay. What she's saying is she didn't want to celebrate a same-sex wedding based on her religion. And while on the surface that sounds great because it's a First Amendment protection, the question is called slippery slope. Where does that go? Meaning, uh, could uh, off the off-the-shelf website do the same thing? Could it be any business say we're not going to make, for example, that master cake thing that we dealt with years ago, make a cake for people? Where is the line between creative work and selling a product, selling a, selling a product itself? And that's going to be the hard answer that the Supreme Court's going to have to struggle with when they make that decision, because we have competing rights. We want equal protection for everyone, but we also want everyone to have their First Amendment rights. That wasn't a religious case. That was saying freedom of speech. That's interesting, and I like the way you tie those together because it is a hot-button issue. Well, let me tie another one together for you because no one's talking about this. What if you get married from a heterosexual standpoint and the government or the insurance company pay for a sex change for your partner now that you're legally married? How does that throw a wrench into this whole mix well it wouldn't throw any wrench into the mix because we have this thing called full faith and credit and it says it in this bill the world full faith and credit and just to be clear if we're in a heterosexual marriage myself and my wife lauren and then i go from andrew to andrea because i do a same i do a transgender i do a sex change and Andrea then is married with Lauren. We, I would be transgender and also in a same-sex marriage at that point because I did translate into the uh, transition into the next step. And if I was to do that, we would have already been married. And the word full faith and credit means in this bill that all states have to recognize something that was valid because, again, I have to go back. We're not talking about any religious thing. What we're talking about is there's lots of benefits, tax benefits. Lots of benefits, child-rearing benefits, to, uh, presumptions about who's, who's your kids if you're not the, the mother. Who's the kid? Who's the presumption? If you're married, and all this law is talking about is marriage in the legal sense, not marriage in the religious sense. And so assuming that your church does not recognize that, and I'm not saying all churches don't, many churches would, um, but if your church didn't recognize that conversion from Andrew to Andrea, they're not saying that the church needs to recognize a wedding, just the state does. And that's a major distinction that confuses a lot of people. Yeah, interesting, Andrew. This is an you know, interesting topic and getting the weeds on a lot of this stuff. Um, and if you go back into the 60s, I was reading about this, where the Supreme Court actually scrapped state bans, right? On interracial marriage, uh, there was a case or two regarding that legalized same-sex marriage nationwide. There was another case seven years ago, but the abortion ruling, how people tie this into the abortion ruling, that stoked a lot of concern that those precedents were at risk, right? I mean, there's still a lot 
of uh, area there that people kind of need to maybe read back on from the 60s, even back into 2015. 100%. And that abortion ruling, Jay, is what you're talking about is called Dobbs, and that's what turned over Casey and Planned Parenthood and Roe v. Wade. And what's most interesting isn't the actual ruling. It's not the majority decision. It's not the dissent. It's a concurring opinion by Justice Thomas, who ironically is in an interracial marriage. But even though he's in an interracial marriage, he said, listen, we all heard of this right of privacy, a due process right of privacy. And we all thought about this. It's the same right that says, hey, I can educate my kids the way I want to. I don't need to just keep them into the public school. It's a right of privacy. We have a lot, a lot of rights based on privacy. We like privacy, autonomy. We like to be able to be our own people, and the government shouldn't interfere. But Justice Thomas said, listen, due process is only procedural in his concurrence. He said it's only about if you're going to be deprived of freedom, like when you're going to go to jail. That's what due process is. It's not a right of privacy. And problematically, that right of privacy, which he's saying doesn't exist, is the underpinnings for interracial marriage, his own marriage, and same-sex marriage. And that's what got everyone so concerned and worked up. I will say in Justice Thomas's defense, he did have a paragraph that said he's not talking about those rights. But it seems illogical that you could have no right of privacy, but those rights could exist unless we could find another basis for those rights. And maybe you could. Maybe you could find another basis in the Constitution. But it made everyone concerned, and that's why I believe that the Congress, and we have Republicans and Democrats joining along on this one, said, listen, if you want to get married, more power to you, because you know what? We have a more stable society when more people aren't committed relationships, and that's good for everyone. Indeed, but I want to make it clear here, because insurance companies are still on the hook, correct? And policies might need to be changed, and I'm talking about, you know, you get married heterosexually, and then, you know, one opts for a sex change. Insurance companies, though, are still on the hook for this, correct? Um, the vast majority. There's an exception okay. in the law that says if it's a religious nonprofit, so there's a theoretical possibility that your insurance is a religious nonprofit. So there could be an uh, exception in certain ways. But beyond the um, religious nonprofit, yes, insurance companies would be on the hook. They'd be on the hook for anyone who's going to be in this, um, in this marriage situation. I think what you're saying with an insurance company is it's a double statement, Jay. One is that you can get your spouse's coverage, and number two, you're going into sex changes, whether insurance company has to do it, which is an inflammatory topic, both on the left and on the right. Um, but again, if it's a religious insurance company, there might be exceptions on those situations. If it's a religious nonprofit, when you read the bill because of the same-sex marriage thing where they don't have to recognize, etc. But at the end of the day, if you're having the insurance, you're paying the bill. If it's in your policy, they got to pay. That is uh, the key. Talking with Andrew Lee, believe the law, uh, constitutional attorney extraordinaire. I've got two other pieces of business with you. I'm going to take advantage of you while I got you. Um, Number two, TikTok, Mega, Twitter. Um, I'm talking Zuckerberg. I'm talking Musk. Shocking story coming out regarding some of the House Republicans uncovering documents, Mr. Lieb, as far as freedom of speech and everything else that took place way back. Very scary stuff, the way our federal government has operated in trying to cover up uh, information here. Um, very alarming stuff. And 
you're going to hear more of this, I think, as it comes out. A lot of stuff coming out. Uh, and it's, uh, you know, it was just a matter of time. Give me your thoughts on all this stuff. Well, first I have to tell you that TikTok, just for entertainment purposes, is a really good way to waste time and suck your soul away. And I, I like that Zuckerberg, we're seeing right now how quickly you can lose, I don't know, $50 billion over the course of a year. But to, I think your point, what you're getting at is that Musk has been releasing what's called the Twitter files. And the Twitter files show that Twitter was suppressing speech in some way, shape, or form, and there was pressure from the federal government on it. And to differentiate, Twitter can suppress speech however they want, and people don't seem to get that. Twitter was not wrong to take people off Twitter. Going to Twitter jail is not a problem. Facebook jail is not a problem. The problem is, is if the federal government's doing it because the federal government can't suppress speech. And there are lawsuits going on right now about the federal government influencing social media. Now, I will tell you, if you go to Jack Dorsey's statements, he's saying, listen, Twitter shouldn't be delivering these Twitter files that are screened. They're only putting out piecemeal of it. They should just show everything. So we don't know because it's carefully curated what Elon Musk is putting out right now and the extent that the federal government is actually doing it. They have a reporter doing this with Elon Musk. So we've got to actually see the entire thing. But I will tell you without a shadow of a doubt, if Kevin McCarthy becomes the speaker, this is going to be ripe territory, probably next to Hunter, for him to be having all these hearings and go forward with it because it's a good way to come at the government. And assuming, just to be clear, that it does come out when the full trode of information that the federal government was having a hand in suppressing speech and not just, I don't know, naked pictures or whatever else, but actually suppressing the speech, then, then they're right, and the federal government should be held to task, and they shouldn't be suppressing speech. But just to loop it one more time, social media can suppress your speech. It's just the federal government can't be part of that. You know, you kind of get the feeling that Dorsey back in the day, and he's taking full responsibility, by the way, uh, for the many failings of Twitter, and admitted he completely gave up pushing back against some of these powerful activists within the confines of his own company. You know, these Twitter files and everything else, I mean, exposing a series of just uh, extraordinary behind-the-scenes maneuvers, really kind of buckling to a lot of political pressure out there, Mr. Lee. And it starts, you know, it started, you know, you way back as far as the exposés on the laptop of Hunter Biden. You go back to that. But, you know, he now believes that, uh, that Twitter really should have kind of have stuck to, to some core principles. You know, and he kind of names them off there. So, you know, he admits that he was getting a lot of pressure and everything else uh, for that coming into play here. You nailed it. He said an activist investor came out, even though he laid out his his three core principles. He didn't pursue them. I will say that Elon Musk isn't necessarily pursuing them now. I know we like to make him a hero, but he's not necessarily pursuing them now. I don't know if you saw what happened with him banning the person that tracks his airplane, then unbanning them, then banning him after he said he's allowing him for free speech. You know, they all, they say absolute power corrupts absolutely. So I don't think any of them are necessary hero, and we all have goals, and we all, in theory, have these pure thoughts, but it's much easier for Jack Dorsey to now say what he wishes happened. But as you said, he had no spine. You didn't use that word. I did. He had no spine when he had his, his druthers. He was in charge. He was the chairman. He was the CEO, and he buckled to someone who was an activist investor and didn't fight back. I don't know. I thought that was very disappointing that he admitted that 
he was in charge and he let an activist investor take out his, his umph, his, his, uh, his luster to go fight for what he thought was right. At the end of the day, though, we're all humans. We're all flawed. So he did greater than I. Elon Musk did greater than I. And to tell you the truth, if you want to really go into it, Donald Trump or Joe Biden both did much better than I. So it's easy for us all to sit on the second sidelines and judge all these people. But these are great men. We're just chatting on the radio today. There we are, Mr. Leib and I, and we're talking about a plethora of... Now, I'll tell you, third piece of business, what I spoke about prior to you coming on, a little bit of a rant, but I tell you, it got me, and that is the federal government uh, suing the state of Arizona now uh, for putting up shipping containers to block those who might be coming in here. Uh, Listen, we have a dire situation. You know, Title 42, expiration, what, six days from now? We see what's happening in El Paso. They're just being uh, overwhelmed. Those agents get suicides down there, too, with these agents. They can't, they can't do their jobs. I mean, it's dire. You had the president going down in Arizona last week. Didn't even go to the border. Forget the czar where she is. I don't even know where the czar is. But in essence, you have a situation now. Listen, we got fentanyl coming into this country left and right. What, 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 what are we thinking here as far as the government is concerned? Well, I have to first thank you, because that was calmer than the way you did it the last time. The last time you did it, I was in the green room waiting to go on, and I started getting terrified. I was glad you took a break to go on to, on to the um, commercial break before we went on and reset the show, because I was thinking we should just put Jay on the border screaming at everyone, and they would all run away. All jokes aside, though, I think that on a, a level of politics, it's a terrible move by the Biden administration. I think on a level of what we think is right and wrong, it's a terrible move. Like you said, people coming across the border illegally. And like you mentioned, fentanyl coming across the border illegally. And Arizona wanting to do something about it and border agents wanting to do about it. That all being set aside, individual states can't be dealing with the border. So the way that Arizona and other states are dealing with this, as opposed to working with the federal government who actually controls the national borders and is actually in charge, is also wrong. And they're putting the federal government in a bad spot. So I think that they're intentionally triggering the federal government, causing the federal government to do this lawsuit, because at the end of the day, international, different governors, different states don't deal with other countries. That's the federal government. Now, to to counter that, the federal government's failing the people of Arizona and doing it. So what else is Arizona to do? So legally, I think the federal government's correct in bringing a lawsuit. But functionally, it's a terrible look for the Biden administration. And again, I always tell you this. I think the Democrats are terrible at media, and they should know that the Republicans are about to take the House. They're going to use this to supercharge the Republican base. So how do they not get smart enough? Biden's in Arizona. Go to the board. The czar's there. Say something on the border. We know people care about this. And so it's just a terrible move by the federal government. It's a terrible move by the Democrats. And it's emblematic of how the Democrats don't know how to play politics and why, again, the Republicans getting, as McCarthy said, the gavel is going to change a lot. Case in point is how they they operated regarding Sam Bankman fried I mean, you're going to arrest the guy right before he's about to answer some key questions in front of a panel. And if that doesn't say it all, I don't know what does. This guy is right under Soros as far as the donations and everything else. So, I mean, you could get a sense of where, we, where we're at right now as far as the playing field. As yeah. uh, re- Republicans are chopping uh, at the bit uh, in order to take over the House. So, 
Uh, that's another prime example right there, sir. Yeah, I'm always concerned, Jay, when people bring in Soros because I'm not sure if there's Epitex going on there. So I'm going to keep him out of the conversation, whether he's good, bad, or indifferent. And that's a whole debatable state for another date. But I think it's a, a Epitex when they go after Jewish people, and I'm Jewish, so I don't really love that idea. But let's talk about Sam for one second um, and what happened. And what happened is he was... Him and his brother. His brother runs a nonprofit. He has actually a very impressive family. I don't know if you know. His parents are both law professors over at Stanford. One is a, a alumni over there, and his aunt is a dean at Columbia. But his brother is doing this nonprofit, and he had basically created a fund, and he was funneling money, apparently, allegedly, between the exchange and the fund, and then he was giving money to his brother at the nonprofit, and his brother were making donations. And I think the biggest issue there is when we go into things like Citizens United, why are we allowing all these people to be giving these donations in the first place? This, this money that's flowing to politicians is absurd. I would say to you right now that we should have a new law that caps the amount of money that people would spend on these elections and what people are giving to the elections, because as I think you're alluding to, the amount of money he gave to politicians, and now all of a sudden he doesn't have to go speak. Although, I must tell you, you, myself, my family, no one wants to be in a bohemian jail right now. I don't know if you heard, that's what Sam is, he was denied bail. They have to take a bucket to get their feces out of the jail. So don't feel bad for Sam. I mean, don't feel good for Sam right now. He's in a bohemian jail in the Bahamas, Nassau. Beautiful. Paradise Island, beautiful. Jail in the Bahamas, horrible. Well, listen, I get it. Just took way too long to grab this guy. Way too long. And, uh, and look what has transpired already. My goodness. And that's why you have Mr. Wonderful doing what he did. Yeah, he lost $9 million bucks. Was so into this whole mess. So, uh, a lot going on, a lot going on. This one, of course, from uh, the Sharks, right? The Sharks, the TV show. Um, Mr. Lee, we covered a lot of ground. Liebatlaw.com. It is a great, great website. You're going to learn a lot, loads of information on that website. Until next time, my friend, and hopefully, an Isles win tomorrow night. Well, and I have to say, like Mr. Wonderful, we're going to get it all back. Because when Mr. Wonderful, he gives away his money, he, he cries. He wants his money to come back. And that's how I feel when I'm off the Jay, Jay show right over here. I just want to come back on the show. I can't wait for next time.